This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. An episode with Hardy. Really the first time I had spent time with Hardy. I mean, this is episode 278 back in the day. We're putting it up again because his new album's out, which by the way, the Jake Owen episode from this week is awesome. And we don't do a lot of these in case you missed it, but I think the Hardy one is a good one to do in case, I mean, literally you missed it and he's back in the news, but you can learn a lot about Hardy and how he grew up, why he decided to do music this way, but that's it. Hardy's got a new record, The Mockingbird and The Crow, and they keep calling it genre bending. At this point, what's a genre? Yeah. You know, but I like it. I like, I like him. I like how he does his music. The Mockingbird and the Crow Tour launches in February with Jameson Rogers and Blame My Youth as support. Get tickets at hardyofficial.com. So we'll get to that in like 30 seconds. Uh, movie Mike's movie podcast also exists and is awesome. And Mike, what's, uh, what, what are you doing over there now? Last couple episodes? I'm breaking down the Oscar nominations. So everything that came out, I'll give you my predictions on who's going to win. And if people are listening to this and it's past the Oscars, you can go and look and see how wrong yeah. Mike was. That's <laughs> I mean, people. I mean, like, you pretty good, though. Really? Yeah. But even though you're going to be wrong some. Yeah. You know, th- those are the kind of people that they just want to hear you be wrong at something. Yeah, you can do that, too. Uh, and Amy, uh, depending on when you hear this, because we're putting this up when? What day of the week? Friday. So today. Yep. Amy's tickets for her Four Things podcast with Amy Brown go on sale today. Um, and you may hear it. They'll probably still be on sale if it's Monday or Tuesday. But if it's like three months from now, they probably won't be. Um, that's it. Thank you. Here is Hardy, episode 278 from back in the day, in case you missed it. All right, with Hardy here in the studio. We never met before this, which is weird because you've been around for a bit now. And I've been around for a bit. Yeah. But we didn't even run into each other the few chance times that we were both out, you know, at CMAs or yeah, yeah, yeah. ACMs. I feel like, too, um, the last time I was at like an actual award show, like a red carpet where people were, you know, pre-COVID had was like over a year ago, obviously. So, um, yeah, I think I've only literally seen you like once ever, like in passing. The so. rare unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, except for kind of the, the, would you say that's a mullet? Not a mullet, long no, hair. I, it's, it's, it's a weird tweener. It yeah, is a tweener. Yeah, it's a tweener for sure. Other than that, I would say sim- we're similar-ishly looking. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, we got the, we're, we're thinner than me. Generic white. We're both generic white guys, though. Yeah. That have dark rim glasses. Yeah. You can still pull off the flat bill cap. Once I turned 40 this last year, I was like, I'm out. I got no hats I, anymore? Not hats, but I can't do flat bills. Yeah. I feel like I'm a little too old to really rock the flat ones. I think that, for the most part, everybody is too old. I think they're like <laughs> just going away, for the most part. I was literally talking to somebody about that earlier. It's like people, just no matter who you are, look less cool these days in a flat bill. I don't know why. Has it been a bit odd to finally get recognition as Hardy the Artist, and you really can't do anything with it? What do you mean? Well, because here you have a number one song on the radio. Right. You have a ton of songwriting hits, but nobody outside of our community knows who the songwriters are for the most part. Anyway, sure. Right? That's, yeah. a, that's a celebrated 
job, a, a well-paying job if you hit big inside sure. of our bubble. Yeah. But you can't go to, you know, Tupelo or Lexington and play a full, a full show as a songwriter. No, it, you can't. You can't sell out, you know, Rupp Arena. No, definitely not. So your your success as an artist, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, it's mostly your your the peak of it has been when we can't do crap. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's been tough, dude. Um, and and I really felt like I have to think about timeline. Our last few shows were, uh, I guess, around this time last year, and we were finally, um, you know, selling out like bigger biggish rooms and stuff and i mean our set was like amazing and we were really dialed in and and everything went away so um but yeah it's been it's been kind of tough on that end but uh the songwriting is cool i mean it's like i get to play covers quote unquote yeah in the set that i wrote and so i kind of don't have to do real covers and and get to play some of the the stuff that i've written and I, i try to explain it live and i don't know if it translates you know if people really are listening but um yeah, it's cool. I wonder how many people, because again, we're so in to the industry in different ways, but I wonder how many people that go to a show that don't know the ends of it actually know what you're saying when you're talking, going, hey, I wrote God's Country from Blake Shelton. And then you play it, and how many go, oh, yeah, he's, he's covering this song. This is a good one. Yeah, I, I, probably a lot. I would think so, too. I think we give ourselves too much credit that people listen to everything we say. Yeah, I think so. Especially like in bars, like arenas and stuff are probably different. I haven't gotten to do that in arenas, obviously, but um, but like in bars and they're loud and everybody's drunk and and you know that they're probably not paying attention. Your number one as an artist song, your first one, yeah, is and this is mostly what I was referring to because I know you you've built a base and you've opened up for other big artists, right? But for you to have a song that has extreme mass appeal and people to go oh it's the the guy that did one beer yeah like that hasn't been able to happen quite yet because no i mean because no we haven't really played shows since it happened yeah yeah uh, let me play this first here is one beer on the record this hits slightly different than the rest of the songs yeah so Whenever this was decided to go to, you know, radio, conventional radio, yeah. was someone really pushing that and it was like, wow, we can't believe we're going to do this? Or was that kind of the consensus to go with that song? Yeah, it was just the internet. Just, um, it was data of... It stood, I mean, oddly enough, too, it was on Hickstape. It wasn't even originally on my, um, my uh, a rock, my actual record. It was a Hickstape song. And of all the songs we knew, we were probably going to, do a single from Hicks tape and uh, Seth England kept saying like, dude, it's going to be one beer. You just watch. And I was like, okay. And uh, sure enough, it, I mean, exponentially beat everything else on the record. And, and I've always been, uh, the, I say always, I've only been doing this a couple of years, but like I, anything that I cut, I, I would be willing to do, to have as a single. So whatever that they, you know, say is, is blowing up on, you know, whatever internet, any app or whatever. Uh, I'm good to go with. So I just said, let's let's do it. I know it's different, but go for it. There's only ever been one other person say that in that way to me when when doing these long-form conversations. And he said, you know what? I write almost all my stuff. Not all of it. He's like, I'll take a couple songs that, that I don't write because I'm a songwriter and I appreciate songwriters. And he said, but if I cut it, I just go, it's good enough to put out. So you decide because I wouldn't have cut it if I didn't think it was good. Yeah. And that, other, that was Chris Stapleton. Yeah, wow. He, who goes... I cut it. I got to believe in it. So, yeah. so label, you take it and do what you're good at because I already did what I'm good at. Yeah. That's how I feel pretty much. Exactly the same. I'm cool with anything. I, and I know there's kind of a whole spectrum of, of sonically of, of stuff that I put out, but I'm cool with anything going out there. When did you move to town? Uh, uh, ten and a half years ago. That's when you moved here officially? Yes. When did you come to town the first time and go, I can't believe people get paid to do that? Um, about 11 years ago. Well, my sister, so my sister moved here before I did. She's a year and a half older than me. To do music? Yes, originally. And now she's, you know, found her own path and she's doing something completely different. But, um, and so I was in like late high school, like senior year high school slash junior college. And she was going to Belmont and she hit me up and she was, I had just started like writing songs and stuff. And she was like, Hey, the, I don't know like what you're trying to do with your life pretty much, but there's a thing called a publishing deal 
and you there's a whole industry where you get paid to write songs if you ever wanted to do that and I just kind of on a whim was like sure and just moved up here and and you know that's kind of when everything started so you moved up here from Mississippi yeah where were you living because you're from Philadelphia Mississippi yeah I see I played a, I'm from Arkansas and we played a lot of ball all around you know, Arkansas, Mississippi, yeah. Alabama. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been through. Really? Yeah, I wow. have. I've been through almost all of Mississippi. You just, yeah. When you don't have, when you don't come from a place that has a lot, you go to other places that don't have a lot. Yeah, sure. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah. So totally. You just move around, and so yeah, I, I've been through there a couple times. And so you were living there in high school. Is that when you moved after high school? I moved. I went to one year of junior college, and it was like a joke. I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I was such a. Uh, terrible student and i ended up going to college here but um i just it, i knew i needed to leave too so i was technically in um i would come home on the weekends but decatur mississippi which is like 25 minutes away from philadelphia um but yeah technically i was in philadelphia when i moved here so you move up here to go to school yeah i went to mtsu um and so i lived in nashville for the summer and then i went lived in murfreesboro for uh, like a year, and then I moved back and just commuted for the rest of the time. When you're at MTSU, who has a good music school? Yeah, it's like the the poor man's Belmont. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I said it has a good music school. Yeah, you know Belmont's the, the fancy it's like kids at the go. end of Music Row. Yeah. It's like the castle on top of the hill. Yeah, you like you graduate, you get a number one record, but you, you go and you study songwriting there. What in the world do you learn in school as a songwriter? You know, it was really interesting. Um, and I hate saying this, but the class itself, you kind of either got it or you don't. And I, I, I don't know. It's it, the I learned more about publishing and like the music industry and kind of how not to get screwed in a contract, and which that's what lawyers are for too. But um, I learned more about that, I think, than the actual craft of writing a song. But I did learn a lot about publishing and, and a lot of music industry terminology and like 360 deals and stuff like that i i I really got um i got a lot i took a lot in from that based on that major and also you meet people who then introduce you to people who then introduce you to people yeah totally and that's and that's what i always do add it's like i understand that if i didn't do that i definitely wouldn't be here and i and i kind of had a weird college experience and and only had a couple of friends so i stayed in my room a lot and just like really learned how to write songs by myself and if i didn't do that you know i wouldn't have kind of developed my portfolio for signing a publishing deal and all that so it was definitely worth it did you finish school yeah i have a degree nice. <laughs> i do i and believe it or not i definitely do it's in it's in uh commercial songwriting which is insane. So you finished school. You're in Nashville full time. How long? And I assume you finished school at 22, 23, around that age. Yeah, yeah. How long until you're actually getting to pay the bills, writing songs? Um. So I signed a publishing deal. Um. I graduated in August, so I had to do like a four and a half semesters, and I did summer to finish. And so uh, September, October, November, December, January, February, six months. Six months after college. Um. I, I signed my first publishing deal. What song or songs do you remember sending out? Because you kind of have this collection of material to go, hey, guys, please sign me. Yeah. Do you remember, did you have anything that is still floating around or ended up getting cut in that first batch of? No, I didn't even get a cut on my first publishing deal until I signed my second deal, and then I got a, one that, cut. They paid you for a whole deal and made yeah. no money off of you. Yeah. Um, I have one song about a dog that was really good that like <laughs> got pitched around and that was like on my schedule A. So it was one of the songs that I came into my deal with that still, uh, I will hear maybe will go on hold or something, but no, nothing, nothing that I wrote before my pub deal has, has seen the light of day for the most part. Did you re-sign with your original pub company for your second deal? Yeah. Thank I God. Cause man, they just been screwed. They just spent all this money on you and get anything. It's well, it's kind of a, um, interesting that my publisher is a relative of mine <laughs> i no kidding and uh so we we kind of right at the beginning sort of had a dream together and and he just kept saying dude it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and uh yeah i i went with him again how many years was your first deal three are you after year two you're going into year three are you like man like i don't know if this is gonna happen yeah i was discouraged for sure I was. Why wasn't it happening? Were you not good enough yet? I think so. Yeah, and it's so funny because I was so like mad. I just I wasn't bitter and I wasn't um, <clears throat> what's the right? I didn't blame the industry and I wasn't that guy. 
But I was very frustrated, but I know. And and I, there were a few songs, but there is proof in the pudding that I only got like one cut from my first deal. And I just, I was just, I, ha- I wasn't there yet. The songs weren't, I look, go back and listen to them all the time and, I'm, and I just kind of pick them apart. And I'm like, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't the radio yet. You ever go back and listen to an old song and then a bit rewrite it and make it better? No. Years later, like as a, as just like a exercise? If anything, I would, and I don't even think I've done this on purpose, but you know, you write a thousand songs, so you got to write the same title eventually, even if you forget about it. But if anything, if I had a great, great idea or title that maybe I didn't know how to write, I would, or I might like rewrite the whole idea. And if it was a co-write, just split yeah. that with the people or either rewrite it with them or something like that. I'd be down for that. Your first money-making song was Up Down? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Was that the first song that ever got cut? No. My first cut was, uh, but that was, actually, so I took two cuts. Up Down was on my old deal. Um, I Should Go to Church Sometime by Tyler Farr. Oh, yeah. It was my first I, cut, and it was my first single, and it died, like, in the 60s. I something. remember it, yeah. 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 I, but still exciting to get that first single. When you get the call and they go, hey, it's a single, are you pumped? Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, I thought I was going to be rich. Uh, <laughs> not that that's why I do it, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I was, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a it's a huge milestone and, and, and a, a, you know, just a confidence booster and it's like, you are doing this and somebody legitimate cut your song and yeah, it's it was it was all the wind and the sails I think that I needed. And then after that, everything just kind of started happening, which is everybody says like you get one and you get X amount or whatever and I've seen that happen with a ton of my friends too. It's just funny how that works. So, as much wind gets put in your sails when they say, hey, it's going to be a single, did as much get taken out when it didn't hit? Yes, but Up Down kind of cross-faded nice. with that. So I had a little hope there. Um, but around the time it died was when Morgan cut it. So we just still didn't know, and he had only had The Way I Talk. Um, so it's hard to you know really gauge that, but... Um, yeah, it it was a good it was enough crossfade for me to not like be super down and think maybe that was my shot. There had to be too a bit of excitement whenever it's not only Morgan who who at the time was an unknown artist on a label sure. who <laughs> had no history at all, not yeah. even of success or not success, but no history, big loud had no history. Uh-uh. But then when FGL gets on the song, yeah. you got to go, "Oh man, I got another bullet for the gun inside of this song." Yeah. It was a huge um booster for him and that was kind of a sigh of relief but for you i'm saying like to write a song you know if fgl's on the song it's not gonna die at 60 no uh yeah and that was that was kind of the okay this is gonna be a hit there's no way it's not gonna be a hit and uh that was definitely a huge thing for all of us that was all me brad clausen and cj solar was our first really a few of our first cut or maybe mine and somebody else's like First or second cut, and uh, our first hit together, too. So it was good for all of us. Let me play this. Here is Morgan Wallen, Up Down. Turn it up, down, up, down, up, down. We just holding it down here in BF. You mentioned Brad Clausen. So when I heard about you, the songwriter, about to start turning into you, the artist, it was from Nicole Gallion, who's a friend. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, Hardy's he's going to try to be an artist. Yeah. And, and I didn't know who you were. I just she, yeah, nobody she, did. She, she was talking about the songs she'd written, and she yeah. was like, "I don't know why I'd try that." Yeah, you know, because a lot of songwriters in town have either tried and it was unsuccessful, not a good experience, or they just don't want to do it. Yeah, you, you know, see all their friends do it, and they're like, "I don't know about that." You never have someone who's a songwriter who hits it big for a couple songs and goes, "You know, what? I'm good. I don't want to do it." It's, uh-huh. it's never that way. So you know, if you're with a songwriter, mostly they they're like, "I don't know. I want to live the artist lifestyle." Yeah. But for you, was that always kind of the, the the goal on the? No, no, it was not. It, it, when I was in college, like I kind of wanted to, and then I signed a pub deal, and I was just like, "This is awesome!" And all I got to do is write a song every day, and and. Uh, no, I had I had I had reached the point where I had zero intentions of of being an artist or at least like signing a record deal and like doing the thing. I might have had aspirations to put music out or something, but no, I had no I had no plans to to do it. I'm going to ask you this is a weird question to ask and I know what the answer is, but I wonder what your answer is. When you say you didn't have aspirations to be an artist, can you sing? Yes. Like, like, can you, are you like, I'm a freaking, I've never heard you sing, right? I, it hasn't been, 
You haven't been on the show, the, the radio show to play, and I haven't seen you live. So I just go by the records. And some of my friends that are great artists can sing pretty well. Yeah. But they'd go, you know what? I'm not the best singer. I'm a good songwriter, great performer. But can you sing? I think so, yes. Do you think that, do you understand the question? Like, do you think that you can sing compared to Nashville? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it took me a while to f- figure that out or to find my voice. But um, yes, I do. I consider myself a vocalist. Very much so. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts. That's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Whenever you were coming up and you were looking at artists, or maybe you even just listened to artists when you were growing up in Mississippi, who was it that you were like, dang, let's, because I assume you're in your 30s or 30. like 20. Okay, yeah, I'm 30. 30 years old. Yeah. So I grew up with Napster and, and we started <laughs> to download and, and then stream, right? Sure, so yeah. You, so I was able to get music from every direction. Mm-hmm. Really, I was the first generation to do that where just because I grew up in Mountain Pine, Arkansas, population 700, didn't mean I wasn't listening to Tupac Sure. And and Limp Biscuit. Yeah. And Brooks oh. and Dunn. Yeah. So we have all of this music coming from different angles. So I'm going to ask you, what came to you from outside of country music first? Where you were like, God dang, man, this is what I love. Dude, well, that, I mean, rock and roll in general, um, I didn't grow up listening to country. I know that's like against the country music Bible, but um, so it was all rock and roll. Old, a lot of old just for my dad, and I still love classic rock, but... Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Soundgarden, Puddle of Mud, Limp Biscuit. Yeah, the whole '90s vibe for you sounds like it was. Yeah, late, kind of late, 
90s transitional to like early 2000s honestly Nickelback dude when they came out when they first came out dude that some of those songs they were such hits and I just my mind was blown so I'm that a, was like, I'm a Nickelback defender to my core me too man because the only reason people hate Nickelback is because they got so freaking famous yeah and when somebody is so famous you can't help but get people start to the cool thing to say is I don't like them yeah sure I just watched the Bee Gees documentary and I didn't get to experience the Bee Gees I was that, that was way too old for yeah. me but they got so big, and there was such a backlash. That people just started hating on them. That it was just the cool thing to do. Yeah. Because everybody loved them, so I'm going to be cool and go like, you know what? I don't love them. Yeah. And then it slowly starts to be a movement. Sure. And I've seen that. And I don't know why. And listen, I have friends that have hung out with those guys, and they're like, they're total douchebags. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I, I, their music was great at the time. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, it was just, to me, it was mind-blowing, too. And kind of, you know, the the... That was like, even though, like like you said, Napster and, and whatever all the LimeWire or whatever all the illegal things were, we still kind of had that beauty of, of hearing music for the first time without having, like, complete access to it like we do now. And, and so when I heard stuff like Nickelback, Linkin Park is another one. Um, that stuff just it did something to me, man. Like, just completely inspired me. I, I don't even know how to explain it. But Favorite artist of all time? Um, Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, similar, I grew up listening to classic rock radio. Yeah. And so I was, in, like, CCR, Credence, was sure. is really one of the most influential parts of music history to me. Yeah. But I would assume that had to be it for your dad. Yes, in a 100%. Class, classic rock radio? Um, yeah. I mean, my first memory, like, my first few memories were, um, my dad had a chicken farm for a long time, and, and uh, he had, like, this little s10 and and we would listen to uh the classic rock station out of jackson mississippi and those are like i was probably three years old i remember hearing free bird for the first time and then like i heard it i don't know how i remember this but like later that day i heard it again on the radio and he was singing it and i was still kind of learning the concept of radio and i remember asking my dad how he how do you know that song because the first time we heard it was earlier today and he was like no son that's like actually an old song but um yeah classic Rock radio was like very early in my my uh, childhood. Your dad's still alive? Yeah. And what's he think about what you're doing now? I, he's taking it all in stride. Both my parents are. They love it. Their mind is kind of blown a little bit. My sister was, I was very much the black sheep, and they will even admit this, that she was, she sang growing up, and and um, I was just a kid and played baseball, and sort of, she moved to Nashville, and, you know, she, she was that was this was kind of her thing and and so um it's just still sort of people are still in shock a little bit that the roles are kind of reversed but my parents are they love it have they seen you perform to a pretty crowded room my folks yeah yeah first time they saw that they trip out a little bit yeah the first time that they saw a good show was in atlanta and it was the first time that a crowd ever sang uh rednecker but it was when rednecker was like uh, kind of peaking and um they were in the crowd and when i came backstage like my mom was like crying a little bit or whatever and they were just I, they i had never seen them freak out like that it was it was really cool mike d who's producing this i i was doing stand-up playing theaters around the country and mike d had was opening for me and he was doing you know five to seven minutes of comedy but yeah. his parents didn't even know he was doing comedy so we're oh, in, no way so we're in austin and it was the first time they'd come to see you right? first time ever and oh my god so Similar. What yeah. did, what did they think? They freaked out. Like they saw me walk out on stage and start telling jokes and like people laughing and they were like, "What is happening?" That's right amazing because he's so quiet. He says nothing. Yeah, but then he gets up on stage and is a pretty funny guy. And I just kind of wonder if that was the same thing with your folks a little bit. I think so. Um, I, I've, uh, yes, I think so. And I, they hadn't really seen that side of me, but they did also like. My first show ever was like this Halloween show I did in Nashville, and it was like packed with industry people, so everybody was like extra hype just because it was like my first show, and everybody knew like yeah. we knew each other. But the real like to see it in front of real fans, I think, was a whole different experience for them and for me. Where did Rednecker peak? Twenty three, maybe twenty four. So you were right on the edge of really feeling it, though, huh? Yeah, it definitely took. Uh, it's interesting though because it didn't like one beer. The uh, the fan base was like kind of learning the stuff before even one beer kind of went top twenty, and they knew Rednecker, and it's still like the biggest, if not second biggest, song of the night. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it it took a different 
different turn when one beer came out for sure. After up down goes and hits, was it crossing with any other songs at the same time? Yeah. So, um, simple came out right after that. I think simple came out in like June or something. And, uh, up down went number one in July, so that was like the first like crossover. And um, I remember, simp- uh, at up down at the number one party, simple was number one. It was like a crazy, cool kind of moment, you know. Here um, is uh, FGL simple. It's like one, two, With your second song that, that hits, or are you starting to go, hey, I think I'm really going to do this for a while? Like there's a, a pressure off your shoulders? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I think like Up Down like stood alone, and then I I started really going on the road with FGL, and Morgan was out there, and Chris Lane was, they were all on tour together. And the next thing I know, um, Chris uh, Lane um, came up and was like, hey, I'm going to cut this song you wrote, I Don't Know About You, and then like, um, and a couple others, and then Morgan, we, he and I started writing a lot, and, and he was like, I'm going to cut this and this and this and this with you, and then kind of FGL sort of followed suit, and that's like when I really knew, like, okay, I think I have a camp, and, you know, because that's kind of the name of the game for the most part, you know, if you can at least find a crew, and then you branch out and get cuts sort of here and there, uh, everywhere else, but um, I I'd never really had like a solid camp of people that I could trust in and, and like felt like I was maybe their guy or this dude's guy or whatever. And that was the first time that I felt a lot of security from that. Here's Chris Lane. I don't know about you. What's your name? What's your sign? What's your birthday? What's your wrist tattoo? Bible birthday. Tell me this. Do you keep I'm going to run through some of these. Here's Low Cash, one big country song. Turn it up and sing Here is Jameis and Roger, Some Girls. Some girls get the mama on the phone, take a trip back home, pretend they never knew the guy. Some girls drink a bottle of Here's Blake Shelton, God's Country. I saw the light in a sunrise. When Devin Dawson was in here about a week or so ago, he said you sang the demo to this. Yeah. And that when you guys finished it, in his recollection, he said, hey, you're going to writing room. Everybody has different memories of what happens when. Right, sure. That he felt like that was a, a song for you. Yeah, I I made a joke to uh, Seth and Joey, um, Joey Moy, um, and I sent it to them, and I said, I can't remember, and I try, I've tried to find the text, and it, you know, like it gets deleted after a year or whatever, but I said something like, unless somebody like Blake Shelton cuts this in a week, I want this for myself, and Blake cut it like five days later. <laughs> now you okay. listen. You're pumped when he cuts it. Yeah, ninety nine. But it was one percent of you. Like, man, I sure wish I could cut that song. No, really? I had never, dude. I had modeled my uh, like there. Blake had had put out so many songs that I loved, and that I had like sort of gravitated towards that craft. And a lot of that was because of Craig Wiseman and like just other people that had Blake cuts. But um, it was such a dream of mine uh, to have a Blake cut and especially one that he was hyped about so i didn't even think twice about it and i don't think that the song would have been as big uh for me as it was for him i think it was so big as because it was so different well for him him. it was the biggest song of the year i mean that song was the song i suppose so no no i suppose it won (laughs) one song of like it literally was the single of the year yeah so there's no supposing that that was it uh i'm gonna play here's uh one more he wrote morgan wallen more than my hometown so by doing math here, let's see, one, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine number ones. You're worth about $10 million. Unless you write meant to be or something. I don't, I don't know if those are oh, that much. All right. All right. <laughs> so your record, and again, I'm going to reference Stapleton for a second because when Stapleton put out from a room, part one and part two, mm-hmm. the big thing was, is it from a room or from a, from a room? room? Right. Right. And it's from a room. Right. Because that's the room. A yes. room. Yes. Now with your record, is it a rock or is it a, a rock? rock? Uh, <laughs> it's, I, you know what's funny is it's probably a rock because a rock sounds like Iraq. <laughs> Why? I've heard that joke a lot recently. I'm like, man, I didn't think about that. Why a rock though? 
Um, well, it's you know it is a song on the record, but also uh, I think there's a little bit of a wordplay there with that the record sounds like a rock record. Um, mm, I never okay. I didn't I didn't cross that's into that. That's why word. I decided on that. I thought about like I thought of a million ideas, and I can't even think of them now. But um, I just that's what we ended up with, and I, I I do think that you know the record does definitely sound like a rock record, and that it was just you know aesthetically pleasing or whatever. Yeah, is the new single out? If you guys, play- it goes for Ads Monday. What is it? Give Heaven some Hell. All right, let me, let me play a little bit of this. Yeah, this is from. Write this one? Yeah. Did you write all the songs on the record? Yes. Uh, I've heard this song a few times. Yeah. Where, where have I heard this though that, would, that it would play other than just me checking out the record? Do you know? Uh, have you played it anywhere? I, yeah, I, the only, played I played it? played it at a WWE thing. It that was is. like the troops thing. It was on TV. I don't know if you saw that. Um, right. I mean, I don't right, know. Right, I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Tell, so uh, give me the... You know, the, the, the 30-second version of You're in the Room, the concept, what the song means to you. Uh, okay, so we were writing, uh, the first song on my record is called uh, Truck, and originally the second, the last half of the second verse, there's a line about a guy that has a sticker on the back that says 92 to 2012 in, in memory of his buddy, and, and we were going to, we originally made the line, he misses him, or uh, stories he can bar- barely tell because he's giving heaven some hell. And me and Hunter Phelps and Ben Johnson, we were all like, we that needs to be its own idea. And so we changed the line and we we wrote down "Give Heaven Some Hell" and we wrote it like a week later. And to be honest, um, you know, I don't, I've never lost like a best friend, thankfully, or anything like that. And so um, I I wasn't pulling from like an like a a real like experience or anything like that. Um, but I've definitely experienced it, uh, you know, secondhand or, or, you know, there's stuff like that happened in my hometown a lot. So um, there was no particular person in mind, but uh, I will say, man, it's been the most, the heaviest, um, like my Instagram and Twitter and stuff, it, dude, just literally like thousands of just stories of people. And I try to respond to all of them, but I know that it's reaching people and it makes, that's really the kind of the realization I've had this year is, is to have a platform where I can help people or at least try to make people feel something. So I'm really proud of that one. I mean, you're hitting on all cylinders. Usually it's one or the other, and sometimes they shift. Sure. But right now you're kind of hitting in all areas. Do you have any other songs that you have written for other folks that are out or, or starting to kind of flutter around a little bit? Like that I wrote that just that, other that singles? Did, yeah. Maybe yeah. not even singles. Are there other, you know, I, I'm assuming, I don't, I don't know this is true, but on Morgan's record, you're on some of those songs. Yeah. You wrote some of those. Yeah, I had a few of Morgan's. And uh, right now I have like Cole Swindell's single, Single Saturday Night. Uh, this guy, Robert Counts, he has a single out called What Do I Know? And then um, Dylan Carmichael has a song called Hot Beer. Um, I've been writing a lot with Dirks recently. Um, isn't Dirks the best dude? <laughs> like aside from just being, you know, the, the, the songwriter. And I've been lucky to be friends with Dirks on a different level. than Yeah. He's just the best guy. Dude, he's... Yes, you as solid as you could, you can get yeah. in town. And I, I find I found I've like found that a lot of the guys that are like at the top are like that, and you know that Luke Bryan, uh, Blake Shelton, and, and a lot of those guys. Like you're around them, and you're like, man, y'all are just normal. You're just like you are, you know, on TV and everything, and, and just good dudes and i love that man i I, if i ever get there i I, that's a testament to how i want to be one day you know and here's why because people at that level don't have to prove anything to anybody sure you know i would i'll say um a two single new artist no offense to yourself i just no it's okay or like a soap opera star or someone that's new on a tv show in that when you get that first taste of success you start to go i gotta prove that i'm worth to be here and to prove my worth i need to be a certain way and you start to have this and I think I went through it a bit too when some of my TV stuff, not that I treated people different, but I was like, I got to show people that I'm actually worth what I'm getting to do. Yeah. And it's a weird feeling to have. Yeah. But then once you prove it to yourself, you're like, you know what? I kind of have what is sustainable. I'm just going to be who I am. Yeah. And those guys are like that. Yeah. Keith Urban. Yes. He's another one, dude. The greatest dude. I know. So nice, man. You just would be like, are you Little Big Town? 
Yes. Oh, dude. Yes. You're like, are you guys real? You, and you hang around them, and you're like, one day I'm going to catch you getting out of character. But they're never out <laughs> no, of character because that's, that's just, just who they, how are. they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, too, and like just how they handle success. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I like look at them. I mean, they, I don't know if they know, but all those people that you mentioned are like role models at this point because I just want to be like, that as a person if i ever get to be the, to that point you know yeah I, I think it's just an insecurity that every listen you can't create and be secure like you can't be a creator and not be insecure in some way i i agree with that because you're laying it out there in a vulnerable way every, yes. every single time yeah totally it doesn't matter if you're writing songs or writing books you got to go okay i've created this will you please like it yeah sure and to do well, that and you want people's yes, approval you need it that's you why you would, it. you didn't do it you know wouldn't have done it in the first place and if you do that you got to open up your ribs a little bit yeah and so when that happens i tend i was tending to get extremely insecure and just be withdrawn more than be angry i was just or mean i'm just i was just completely withdrawn yeah now, not so much. Sure. I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to be here for a bit. I feel confident. Yeah. But I think it's the same thing. You made up. You just brought up a great point. Luke Bryant, we're together all the time shooting American Idol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And people are always like, Luke's worth 50, 60, 70 million dollars. He's like the nicest, coolest guy in the world. Yeah. You never know. Almost as much as you with all these songs. <laughs> Dang. Come on. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet and the money in your pocket. So, stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, to take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me, in this fight, and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. When you tell people you're from Philadelphia, or do you ever just say Philadelphia and see if they can put it together? Dude, every, every time I meet somebody new, I have to, we go through the thing. Every single time. Yeah, I say it. And I, when I say Philadelphia, like I see their 
confused face for like a split second and then I say Mississippi and they're like, oh, make a joke about it. But when you started writing, did you go by a full name or you always Hardy? You did? Yeah, I did. It's just that Hardy, like all of my friends called me Hardy and I don't know. It's just like kind of one of those. Like I have a couple buddies that I just have always called them by their last name for whatever reason. And uh, so when it just came time to sort of do the artist thing that somebody kind of brought it up and I was like, yeah, I think that's cool. Something different. And, and why all caps? It's just bold. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's just kind of, you know, Rednecker being the first song and I think the music being a little more intense than than maybe some of the stuff in the format. I, I just... You know, I think it just stands out. Are you are you feeling? And again, I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I compared you and I both to average white guys. <laughs> if you just see us, we're just normal dudes. You yeah. know, we don't. Um, that there's, I would call it kind of a normal core happening in country music. You know, it's hardcore, but like you look normal. Yeah, uh, Luke Combs looks normal. Luke Combs created normal core. I think for the longest time, uh, a lot of country acts before him, and really Stapleton, kind of in a way. I've, in my opinion, maybe sort of helped develop that, but I think Luke Combs kind of delivered it to everybody. But, uh, yeah, it's cool to look normal again. I, I think before that, it was like everybody was like, either was or was trying to look like a professional wrestler or something. Yeah, either an extreme cowboy, a chained-up wrestler. Yes. Like, you had to have your aesthetic niche. Yeah, well, you don't have to have that anymore. No. Just show up and do what you're good at. Yep, and if you're good, the, yeah. I mean, the more normal you look, I feel like if you're, you know, if you're good, people are going to go nuts. Yeah. When Jameson Rogers was here, he was leaving that night after we had talked to go and play in the softball. Yeah. The league that you guys were playing in. Yeah. And so, I know you were on the team. How, how physically are you holding up when you go back and play ball? Uh, I was sore. I hurt, uh, I can't even, I hurt my knee or something like the last game. Um, dude, I, that was a big, like, oh God, I'm getting old kind of thought. Uh, but dude, that was fun. Yeah, I bet. That was so fun. And you guys didn't win the whole thing, huh? No. You were freaking stacked. I know. Uh, man, it was, I'll tell you why we got beat. And myself included, everybody tried to hit a home run every single time they got up to bat. So we we I would bet 80% of our outs were long fly balls. It just we couldn't help it. Like everybody wanted to hit a home run. I swear cuz we were good in the field. We had great outfielders. We had good infield. We didn't make a ton of errors. Uh we just we would have to it, our at bats were tough. We we were good. We won a decent bit of games, but uh, no, we didn't go all the way. Do you feel like you had a target on your back because you were all the singers? Like when you were oh, without a doubt, dude. Oh my god! So you were the Duke of college basketball. Like even the bad teams are, are gearing yes. up because they're about to play as hard as they've ever played. Absolutely. Oh man, there were some teams. Some of the guys were really cool, and they would like kind of yell at us and make like a song reference joke or you know just something like that. And then there was there were a couple teams that like. You could just tell they were like these freaking country singer yada yada yadas and uh, oh dude we felt it every single game it was intense. Did you ever finish a game and the other guys be like hey can I get a picture before we get out? Yeah, and by the end, um, you know Morgan only was only at a few. He had a lot going on, you know. Uh, but thank God he wasn't at every game, or I think it might have been chaos because uh, it was just sort of at his. He was really starting to peak, uh, and 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 uh, with which there was a ton of you know like. Celebrity singers on our team, but Chris Lane, let's walk through it. Yeah, Chris Lane, you, uh, Jameson, Jordan Davis, Jordan Davis, uh, obviously Morgan. There's five, five. Riley Green played one game, uh, <laughs> he didn't come back. Um, John Langston was there. Um, God, you're not the team I would want to fight either. Jeez. No, I, I, no, we were, we were, yeah, a thick bunch, yeah, for sure. Ernest, yeah, I don't know if you know Ernest. I don't know. Uh, him. I, I say him on Twitter sometimes, but yeah. yeah, I don't know him. He he was on there, uh, and then and then some some of the younger guys, Jeb Gibson, Hunter Phelps, and uh, yeah, but, but uh, it was cool, man. It was a you know our team name was the Recoupables. I don't know. You probably saw it on Jameson. Was he wearing his jersey? In I here? think I saw it on Instagram. Uh, maybe Jordan had posted a picture or something. Yeah, and I, which I think is hilarious because in, in case you don't know, a recoupable. You have to pay the money back that the label pays you. Right. Yeah, they're like, hey, we're going to give you uh, $5 to, to go make a record. Well, you got to pay that $5 yeah, back. Yeah, re- the five bucks is that's recoupable. The recu- yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, that's. And d- you guys had jerseys? 
Yeah, not. I guess uh, they were not like jersey in form or in um, material. But yeah, we had uniforms. We had like uh, just very classic looking baseball shirt. Does someone buy all them for you? Do you all have to go out and? Jameson handled the whole thing, and we just we just paid him. Okay, uh, so it, that's like old school softball. Yeah, One guy does it, and you give him all the money for yeah. the jersey. Dude, we're gonna try to do it again in the spring, if if the COVID stuff kind of uh, is still, uh, you know, it's not looking like it's gonna be uh, happening in the spring as far as tour goes. So I think we're gonna try to do it again. Are you a gambler? A little bit. Are you gambling more now that it's legal here? Uh no, I was doing it the same before. You were? Okay, <laughs> yeah, so illegally. To me though, and I was too a bit, but I was so tired of paying in Bitcoin to an offshore site. I would oh, get dude. A, and it was like you get a check from like Armenia, yeah. and the bank won't cash it, or like like yeah. for sure they think there's some terrorist activity going of on. Of course, yeah. And so I started to get tired of that, but now I'm on DraftKings. Yeah, three four times a week. Yeah, it's the greatest new part of my life. I've never done DraftKings like. Because you do that kind of in fantasy format, right? Nope. I'd, you can, yes, but uh, I gamble on games. Just just regular? Straight up. Yeah, play that's what I do. Lines, you know, money lines, yeah. spreads, just like anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, that, especially during the break, because, you know, I'll do the radio show Monday through Friday morning, immediately leave and go shoot TV on the weekends. And whenever I'm doing... You can't gamble in every state, so I have to get. I know. I have to get my bets in before I leave. I did that before I went to Colorado with Dirks and him. Yeah, I had to do all of my national, all of the playoff and all that stuff, and I did it like in the airport because I was like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm about to (laughs) screw up." That's how you know we have a problem. Well, we're going okay. Am I crossing the state line yet? Can I still (laughs) get a bet in? Yeah, Uh, it's fun. It makes it, dude. It makes any game interesting. Like if there is a game on and it just started and it's the Knicks versus the Suns or whatever. And you don't care about it, then just put like fifty bucks or whatever on it, and then it's like suddenly the most intense thing ever. Last I night it. I had a, a seven, and I don't usually bet long parlays, but a seven game parlay. Dang! And I got to the seventh game, and it was the uh, Brooklyn Nets. I don't bet NBA much, but it's Brooklyn Nets, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Brooklyn was down by about nine with three minutes left. They come, they tie, and go to overtime. Uh, this is my seventh game. Yeah. By the way, who who did you have? Money at Brooklyn. Line. Okay. At Brooklyn. And and it was a money line. I wasn't playing the spread. Yeah. All I needed him to do was freaking win. Yeah. Seven games. I had put down a hundred bucks. I was gonna make thirteen hundred. All they have to do is win the game. They lost my seventh game. Oh, they lost no. in double overtime. In double overtime. In double freaking overtime. Wow, you don't How do you that. lose with James Harden, yeah. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving? Who were they playing? Cleveland. 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 Oh, dude. <laughs> and you and you can also go. You know what? I'm gonna take the money I've already won and check out. You can like go cash in. And yeah, you do yeah, it yeah. I felt so good about the bet. Oh yeah, wanted to pull my hair out. Um, dude, my my favorite one this year was I put a uh, hundred bucks on LSU versus Florida money line. I had a gut feeling, and they basketball, bas uh, football. Oh, that's right, and LSU because they when were Florida killed a, by everybody. And Florida was still in the hunt to be yes. in the national champ. You bet the money line, yes. And I was like, dude, I just I have a gut feeling LSU is going to play them at least a really good game, and they beat them. And I was I, that was that was my best of the year. Yeah, that's a good. That was one, a fun one. Uh, you play golf? Yeah. You good? Yeah. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, never mind. Why? Nah, it's just annoying. Why? You guys oh, I'm not, I'm not you guys scratch, come, but... Uh, but you know, <laughs> not even scratch. You guys that come in, and you can sing, <laughs> and you can write, and you can play golf, and you can play... Like, all that's just annoying to somebody like me who's had to, like, hustle and, like, grip my teeth for every single thing. To play golf, to play ball, everything. So, when did you start playing golf? Uh, when I was, like, 12. Okay, so you've had a bit of history at it? I have, and I mean, like, I'm not, like, fundamentally, like, you know what I mean? I don't have, like, the perfect swing or anything, but I've been playing a long time. I love it, dude. It's my favorite sport to play. Who do you play with in Nashville? Um, Brad Tercy. From Old Dominion? Yes, yeah. a pretty good bit. Uh, I got a songwriter buddy of mine, uh, James McNair, that I play with a ton. Um, I play with Devin a good bit. I play with Jameson a good bit. Uh, there's a great community of, of dudes that, that play. A lot of people play golf, and I think a lot of people really picked it up this past year. Yeah. Um, but I love it, dude. You, you see my... You're a lefty, so am I. Oh, are you? Yeah. Yeah, I can never you don't use... You see any, a lot of lefties. Here, never. To, I, I can never use anybody's clubs. I know. And I can never play anybody's guitar. Yeah. Oh, you play left-handed guitar. See, I play right-handed guitar. Oh. It's well, super is weird. It, is it because there were right-handed guitars available i think so like my first one as a gift was a right-handed guitar but i um 
it still feels like natural for me to play right-handed and not I don't feel like I could play left-handed. So I think it is a natural thing somehow. Yeah. I, if people are playing and they're like, hey, do that funny song that you do. And I'm like, all right, well, there's no freaking guitar. That sucks. It sucks. That is, that's worse than golf clubs because like, at least you have your own yeah. in that situation. But that's like uh, Denning is like that. I feel like Denny I've could play a right-handed guitar. I've played Travis's. He plays left-handed guitar, yeah. but he's probably good. I, Keith Urban took my guitar once, who's not left-handed, and goes, let me see if I can <laughs> just try this. And he has a little conversation with both of his hands, and he goes, all right, you do this. All right, you do this. And then he starts to play, I don't know, four times better than I do, left-handed. Oh, my gosh. That would make me – he's unreal, dude. Unreal. That's so frustrating. It's like he had a conversation. All right, you're going to do what you usually do, and you do that. All right, break. And he's like – Oh, my gosh. That's insane. So amazing slash annoying. I wish that there was more, uh, more. There were more things like products and stuff that appealed to left-handed people. You write left-handed? I do. Sucks, huh? Yeah. Especially when we had to use pencils at all, because you got yeah, all you'd have your the, hand you'd have ink. the. I thought about getting a tattoo one time where like this, like to get this whole thing shaded, like to represent like the yeah. Because if you're left-handed, for those that don't know, and most of you don't, you have to drag your hand across the paper. Like you write, yeah, you, you write, push, right? and then you go across what you just wrote. Yeah. So you always. So it's always all over your yeah. hand. Yeah. Life sucks, man. You, don't even, you guys don't even know, Mike. <laughs> you have no idea how tough it is. Um, in the winter, it's been, because I have the golf, I have the simulator. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, that's been where it's at. That's, I, I want one. I've had more friends in the winter than I've had all <laughs> year long. <laughs> that's funny. They're like, hey, man, what's, uh, what you doing today? You, you can play any course on there, right? Yeah, mostly. That's amazing. Yeah, so that, that's been kind of the winter project. Is, is, it, is it pretty? I mean, of course, it's, it's a track man, so it's like super accurate, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. Dang, man. It's accurate. I say that, and I'm like, man, in real life, I wouldn't hit the shot that bad. Yeah. Let's be honest. I wouldn't hit the <laughs> yeah. shot that bad. So That's cool. Well, man, it's been good to hang out, good to talk with yeah, you. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me. No, for sure. Um, looking forward to see what happens with you next. I mean, it's that odd mix of, you're kind of hitting in a lot of different ways at the same time. And, and for that, I commend you because you, that doesn't happen without a ton of hard work. Thank you. Like, you can be good. I have a lot of friends who are good at stuff, but don't work, and it doesn't pop. It yeah. may, or maybe it just pops for a second. So to have this success that's all kind of hitting you at once, it isn't by accident, and it isn't just because you're talented. You know, in this town where everyone is a giant, the, the talent around you, everybody's amazing. For you to have this much success, like, like I, I respect it. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And congratulations. Thank you, man. man. And everybody, it's been a pleasure. Check out a rock, a rock. What is it? Say it. I would say a rock. Okay, that's what I yeah, would say. That's what in conversation I would say a rock. Check out a rock. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> it, Iraq. It does though. sound a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that's what's up. There is follow him on Instagram at Hardy. Tough to get the handle, or I had to pay five hundred bucks. I just had to pay. Interesting. Well, first of all, I can't get at Bobby Bones for anything. For because you're Mister, right? Five, yeah, for five, seven, eight years, I've offered money, and the get, person who has it doesn't even really use it. Is and, it a guy or is it you, they're posting stuff of yours? It's a guy. That's just like he's another Bobby Bones. Yeah. Who in the oh. world? That's a stupid name. It's not even a real name. Bobby is Bones, is it? <laughs> and so I've I've given up, and so I just use Mister Bobby Bones right all yeah. across the board. Well, we started this kind of online cooking show. My fiance did. And it's called Unfancy Cooking. And I was like, this would be a good name. Let's name it that. She's really talented at it. So we did it. Somebody squatted. the. As soon as we put it up, somebody squatted the Instagram. Oh, no way. So I get a message going, hey, I have this. If you want to buy it. And I was like, all right. You have 50 bucks. Because, okay, I'm going to reward you for your ingenuity. Sure, sure, sure. Grab it, okay? okay as yeah. sleazy as it could be, that is legal. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I said, I give 50 bucks. They said, give me 1000 no way. <laughs> and I say, she put up one YouTube episode. It's not worth oh a thousand. Oh my gosh, dude. So I say, don't message me again. Just playing. I'm just being negotiating here. All right. And, and about a week later, they come back. Okay, we'll do it for $750. I said, $45. Because <laughs> I didn't need it that bad. And so wow. in the end, how much do you think I gave for it in the end? Uh, $75. Nah, I'm not that good of a negotiator. I get, oh. I, I ended up giving them 250 bucks. That's not bad. Yeah. You, 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 I mean, you got them down like 750 though. That's not bad. I would have probably <laughs> gone up a bit, but they kind of chickened out and thought I was going to walk. And that's the key. Yeah, you're right. I'm so bad at that, dude. I need to be better. Well, so like, it's the risk of, well, listen, if I screw this up, I'm going to get nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, at Hardy, follow him. Good to talk to you, man. You too, man. And hopefully, uh, well, listen, I won't see you out anywhere because I don't go out. But other we'll than that, eventually. yeah, I'll see you out there. All right, All right. there he is.
This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.